Didn't Emily do a great job of uh, doing the connections? I thought she did. And she looked wonderful in her, what is that, pink, tangerine. Now you just get plain old black. So that'll be, that's what you get. What a privilege to be here at Springbrook again and to follow two weeks of Fred Dickinson. How many were here to see Pastor Dickinson preach the last two Sundays? Just did a great job. I listened to the tapes because I wanted to make sure that I had a little bit of background because I wasn't here. Uh, to be able to know what uh, Pastor Fred was talking about. Uh, I just can't imagine that uh, Fred Dickinson is retired. When I was a young seminary student, I thought he was just a young man. Now I come to realize he's just a little bit older than I am. And it's funny how that happens. I always keep my eye out for people that are born in the same day that I am. And I happened to find one, and I, I, it, it surprised me because I knew about this man. And Born in Illinois, November 9th. 1865, the Civil War. Probably not many of us ever met him, but I'm, ho- I'm hoping that somebody here knows about this man, John Nelson Hyde. He was a son of a Presbyterian minister. He had a brother, an older brother. Uh, both of them grew up and uh, went to Bible school, college, seminary, McCormick Seminary, downtown Chicago. And the older brother got the call of God to preach, to be a preacher. He figured he was going to be a pastor preacher. And he went out to Montana. Anybody know where Montana is? Anybody want to know? Uh, (laughs) Just uh, head west and north and keep going. And the first time you see an antelope, you're in Montana. And uh, Montana, there they were. He got there. I don't believe he preached a message and he fell dead. His younger brother, John, had that spiritual struggle of making the decision about whether he should go and take his brother's place in Montana. But he also had heard the call of God to be a missionary. And God was calling him to go to India in the Punjab in the 1800s. I want to tell you, would have been a very desperate place, a dark place in that part of the world. And so he asked one of his seminary students to sit down with him and write out the arguments about whether he should go to Montana or to India. And finally he decided that he would get on a ship and there he would go to India. And as he was going, he didn't realize that the devil was on his case and that he was still going to have a spiritual struggle. As he opened up a letter from a friend, and the friend, all the friend said in the letter was, John, I'm going to pray that God fill you with His Holy Spirit. And John was offended because he thought he was a Christian. He thought he was serving and loving God. Uh, But after a time, he humbled himself and got down on his knees and he begged God for His help. And God helped him. And there, the first few years in India, John Hyde studied his Scripture. Because he believed that if he knew his scriptures that he could help the Indian people. But then he realized there was a whole spiritual turmoil going around in the culture around him. And that for some reason the gospel was not penetrating the culture. And so he decided that the only thing that he could do was pray. And he got down on his knees and he began to pray for the Indian people. He asked God for a miracle in his ministry. He wanted one convert 
a day for a whole year. And that first year, God gave him 400 Indians. He left to go to England to be with J. Wilbur Chapman. We forget who these people are. J. Wilbur Chapman was a great evangelist that God used to lead another man to a Lord that led Billy Graham to the Lord. And there, J. Wilbur Chapman, as they traveled through Wales and Scotland and Ireland, told the stories of this John Nelson Hyde. Did I tell you he was from Illinois? <laughs> Did I tell you he was born November 9, 1865, the end of the Civil War? We know him better by his nickname, Praying Hyde. If you go on the internet and you type in those words, praying hide, you come up with a story of a man that's credited with literally the salvation of millions of Indians and today the area of the country that is known as Pakistan. Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people came because praying hide overcame the devil in his life and allowed God to get the glory for what it is that he wanted to do in his life. Friends, listen to me this morning. God is wanting to do the same thing here with us. If only we'll walk in the light as our Lord Jesus is the light. And if you turn in your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, there's a wonderful passage of God's Word that I want to preach from this morning. And in 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, And this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. I can still remember as a seminary student, my Greek classes, we always started in 1 John. If you'd have said to me this morning, 35 years later, how much Greek do you remember? I don't remember very much, but I tell you what, I remember this word. The word there in 1 John 1, 5, uh, it's, a, it's a funny little word. It's the word skotia. And the Bible says that our God is light. Oh yeah, we hear all about our God being love. And He is love. Somebody say amen. Yeah, our God is love. But the Bible here this morning tells us that our God is light. But it goes on and it adds that little Greek word, that word skotia. And in Him there is no darkness at all. Not one little bit of darkness. Our God is a God of light. He is the awesome, great God of heaven. He is the one in which there is no darkness at all. (laughs) That's what John is saying here. And you and I need to take comfort in the fact, because there's two issues with the issues of light. One is intellectual. Uh, It has to do with truth. And the truth is our God is light. There is no darkness in Him. And this light entered into uh, uh, earth's experience, according to 1 John. And this light comes into the world and enlightens all men that Jesus is the Christ, that He has come in the flesh. And then the second issue is, not just intellectually, but morally, uh, you and I are called to live a holy life according to this light. (laughs) You and I can live a holy life because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the light of the world. And when He came into this world, the darkness disappeared. 
and there was just light. And John writes and he says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Isaiah says, woe to those who call light darkness and darkness light. And woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We're living in a strange time, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you what, people are taking God's Word and they're twisting it and turning it and perverting it. And friends, the Bible says, woe to those that do that. And John tells us this morning, walk in the light as Jesus is the light. (laughs) Don't let there be any darkness. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. Lord, we thank You for this morning. We thank You that You are here with us. We pray, Lord God, that You might lead us this morning by Your Holy Spirit. Encourage us. Challenge us to be the people of God here at Springbrook this morning. We love You, Lord Jesus, and we pray that You might receive all the honor and the praise and the glory that is due Your name, for we pray it in His name, for His glory. Amen. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Uh, That's what Paul says to the Corinthians, that you and I do not war against flesh and blood, uh, but we are in a spiritual warfare, and God has given us the ability to be able to represent Him in a victorious way. Uh, 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 Praying hide. Uh, He went to England and Scotland and Ireland. He had this great ministry, and he fell down sick. And they wondered what was wrong with him, and he had to come home to Chicago. And here at home in Chicago, when the doctors examined him, they couldn't believe what they saw, that his heart had moved from the left side and moved over to the right side of his body. He had prayed so fervently for the Indian people that it broke his heart, and that his heart moved in his body, literally, physically. And there, as they examined him, they realized that he had a brain tumor. And there, here in Chicago, right here, he died. At the age of 46, he died. He laid down his life for the cause of the gospel. The last words that he said was, shout the victory of Jesus Christ. (laughs) That we can have the victory in what Jesus has done for us in dying on the cross of Calvary. I remember as a young man, my wife and I, Linda, I was saved in 1971, a Roman Catholic, and uh, the Baptist preacher led me to the Lord in premarital counseling. He said, Lou, you know all about Jesus up here. He said, you need to know Jesus here. And I had an 18 and a half inch problem. I was taller in those days. It's about 18 inches now. And then uh, I prayed to receive Jesus that night on the way home. And then in 1977, we sat in a restaurant. I was a firefighter in Waterloo, Ontario. And I said to my wife, sweetheart, I want to try to be a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman. I was 27 years old. It was the last year I was eligible to be a Mounted Policeman. And Linda, being very generous and 
knowing I'd be away from her for six months in Regina, Saskatchewan, and training, said, yeah, go ahead, go. <laughs> she was tired of being around me. <laughs> and so I went for six months to Regina, and, uh, and then we got posted to Vagerville, Alberta. It was, the, it was the plan of God. When we got to Vagerville, Linda and I, we looked for a Baptist church to go to church to worship that Sunday. There was no Baptist church. We didn't go to church that first Sunday. We didn't have a church to go to. And then we found a little uh, Czechoslovakian church, Slavic Gospel Mission. And uh, there a Christian Missionary Alliance church had been planted. And Ron and Myra Brown were the pastor and wife. Ron was born in Zaire, Africa uh, to missionary parents. And uh, Ron and, and Myra uh, became good friends. And Ron discipled me. And I learned so much about this issue of spiritual warfare from Ron, who grew up in deepest, darkest Africa and saw the things that we only read about in books most of the time. And then those first few weeks, getting to know how to be a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman in a little town of Ukrainian people out in the prairies of Alberta, Canada. And uh, then one, one morning I got the phone call from Sergeant Frank Farley. Lou, get in here right away. And so I jumped in my car and I went down to the detachment, and there was Frank Farley. He was in a mess. He was running from this place to that place. He said, Lou, I don't know what I just saw. He said, can you explain it? Something has gone wrong. He didn't, have, he didn't have any category to put this in. I said, what's wrong? He said, we got 40 men in the cells that were only supposed to hold about 12. And uh, we went back, and sure enough, there were 40 men arrested that night. And uh, one man in the drunk tank. And the drunk tank was an empty room and it had the floor and the walls and that was all. When you had a really pass, uh, a prisoner, you threw him in there and if he was really bad, you put a hose in and you hosed him down. I used to like that part. <laughs> and uh, uh, the sergeant was called in because he was busy and, and uh, he let everybody go. He was all alone. It was quiet. And then he heard some noises and he went back and there was a man doing things that aren't proper to speak about in the cells and he grabbed the man and threw him in the drunk tank. And he left him there about an hour, and he heard a racket, and he went back, and he opened up the window into the drunk tank, and there was no man. Frank got a little scared and thought, what am I going to do? And he opened the door, and he went in, and to his horror, there was the man on the ceiling. He is walking on the walls, crawling on the walls and on the ceiling, back and forth. And Frank watched in amazement at this man, and he had no way to explain what he was doing. He closed the door, picked up the phone, and he called me. <laughs> now, why did he call me? I had never sat down with Frank Farley and said, Frank, I'm a Christian. Uh, I know about the Bible. Uh, I was a brand new Christian. I, I, I never once said that to him. But he instinctively knew that there was something different about Lou Petrie, and maybe Lou could come for an answer for this. And I, the next day, went to my pastor, uh, Pastor Ron Brown, and I said, Ron, this is what happened. What do you think happened? And he said, oh, it's simple. He said, that man was under the control of a demon. That man was being demonically oppressed. The man wasn't the problem. It was the demon within the man. And this man was living in darkness. He is not walking in the light. And I went back and I told Frank Farley that, and he looked at me with crossed eyes. He didn't have a clue what I was talking about. And the truth be told, I hardly knew. I'd never seen anything like that. I had only heard. And how does the Bible help us with being able to deal with situations like that? And I wish I could tell you this morning that was the only one, but that was only the beginning of what was going to happen in my life and ministry as the devil came 
to try to beat down everything that we've ever done in terms of our Christian ministry. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 1 and 7 that there's three issues that you and I need to be worried about this morning or concerned about. And we need to evaluate, allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate in your life and in my life, are these three things happening in my life and ministry? And the first one is this, the issue of confession. If we walk in the light, let me ask you this morning, are you walking in the light? The Bible tells us we're involved in a great spiritual battle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We're in a spiritual battle. We can't see it. It isn't around us. We only see the effects of the spiritual battle. I don't know how many conversations I had this morning about Washington and and same-sex marriage and homosexuality and all of those things. Friends, as important as those issues are, they are only the effects of what is going on in our spiritual battle in this world. They are only the outcroppings of what it is the devil is trying to tear down and destroy. And you and I need to realize, as Praying Hyde did in India, that the key issue is the heart and soul of men. You and I, men and women and children, need the opportunity to confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Somebody say amen. Yeah, I'm preaching to white people in Illinois. i got to tell them where to say amen. (laughs) Yeah. That the key issue is the eternal salvation of those people the devil is trying to enslave. And we need to be about the issue of freedom and liberty. (laughs) We need to intellectually assent to the truth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Huh? And then we, we also need to be able to morally say, as Peter challenged us, Be ye holy, for I am holy, says the Lord God Almighty. Didn't you sing it this morning with your whole heart when we sang that song? Lord, I want to be a soul on fire! <laughs> well, the only way you can be on fire this morning is by living a holy life. That's the only way. And to be able to know that Jesus Christ is living and reigning in your heart. And to have Him do that this morning. Confession. That's the the issue of confession. Our walk with the Lord is imperative. Our lives need to be a constant confession of our relationship with Christ. That's why the sergeant called me. Even though I had never verbally said anything to him about my Christian faith, he saw it in the things that I did and how I did them. He understood that I was a follower of the Christ. And brothers and sisters, whether we know it or not, uh, the kids that go to our schools and work with us in our cubicles, they see us, they understand what it is that overflows out of our hearts and out of our mouths and out of our lives. And that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. They can sense it. And if you and I are willing to live lives that are confessed lives... (laughs) Aren't you glad that Dan Harrison is our pastor? I tell you what, I've been here 16 years. We sold our house this week. Oh, we're not leaving yet. You can't get rid of me yet. Some of you owe me money. I'm going to go live with my daughter for a year or so while I continue working. I'm going to persecute her like she persecuted me for 30 years. (laughs) Only fair, right? (laughs) Linda's going to retire in September and go down to Florida. 
and we'll meet up once in a while. <laughs> but 16 years ago, I came to be a member of this church. <laughs> and when Linda ended up in the hospital, who went to visit her? Dan Harrison. And who's the person that every time he opened up the Bible, he preached the truth of God? Dan Harrison. Who's the one that gave his family? He could have, I'm sure he could have made millions. He could sell ice to Eskimos. <laughs> he could have been a great salesman. But he's dedicated his life to the cause of Christ because he wants the people to confess him. He wants them to have the opportunity to have Christ live in their lives. And how many of our children know Christ because Dan Harrison's been our pastor? And I tell you what, this is a confessing church. We believe the truth of God's Word. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, this is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son, not in anybody else. And Dan has always been faithful in preaching the Gospel. That's why I'm here. And friends, that's the reason why we believe the truth of the Word of God. And then the second thing, Who's lived a more circumspect life than Dan Harrison? And I'm not saying it because he's not even here. He, he can't get a big head. huh? He's done it not for us. He's done it for the glory of God. He's not done it for himself. He's done it so that we might have an example of what it means to live a Christ life that makes a difference in people's lives. The issue of confession. There was I, a pastor in Melville, Saskatchewan, Canada, a little town, just a little farm community. And uh, I tried to have a confessing church, and I remember the time that Mrs. Wilk came to me and said, Pastor Lou, what do you want me to do? She lived about 50 or 60 miles from the church, and in those days, the churches were, or the houses, farms were far and uh, far apart, and uh, we didn't have in Canada houses every quarter section or every section. It was miles before you'd come to another farm. And I said to Mrs. Wilk, well, if you'd go and invite the children to come to VBS or to Awana Club or to one of those things, that would be great. And she'd go. And I remember the time she brought three little kids from the farm way, way out in the wilderness. And they'd come to church. They came for a long time. And then all of a sudden they weren't there anymore. And I said to Mrs. Wilk, why aren't they coming anymore? And so she went and knocked on the door. And Mama came to the door. And all she said, the kids won't come to that church anymore. And, and, and Mrs. Wilk said, well, why not? She said, well, because... The, the man that gets behind the, the desk every Sunday, he just gets up there and swears, Jesus this, Jesus that, and Jesus Christ this, and Jesus Christ that. And I looked at her, and I had the biggest smile on my face because I thought to myself, if that's what we are called to be persecuted for, I'll, I'll sign up for that any old day. But then I thought about the three little kids that are robbed of the opportunity to know who Jesus really did you see the kids on the VBS? Now, I was a pastor of three churches. When VBS would come along, I'd, I'd get out of town. I always thought it was something demonic about that, having all those kids running around again. But friends, listen to me. If we don't do our ministry for the children of our community and for our church, then what good are we? What good are we? If they don't have the opportunity to confess Jesus, to know that He's come in the flesh that He is the one that is willing to lay down His life for the cause of reaching men, women, and children for Jesus. And when that happens, I tell you what, it changes the community. It can change the whole world. As Hyde found out in India, it made a difference in the Punjab that to this day people come to know Christ because they know of praying Hyde. 
And then the second thing is this, not just the confession, but there's also the contact. And you know the Bible verses, therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 10 and 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. (laughs) And then the second point is the contact. It says it right here. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There is John telling his churches, because he was a regional pastor of churches, that you need to have contact with God. You need to be in fellowship with God and His people. He says it right in the first verses. Take a look. What we, from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld in our hands handled concerning the Word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you, there's the confession, the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy might be made complete. (laughs) And John says, have that contact. Be in fellowship with one another. Be in fellowship with God. Let Him have His way with you. And when that happens, I tell you what, there is a power that is released that even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's why Jesus said to Peter, Peter, get thee behind me. You are doing Satan's work and not God's work. Uh, You are more in contact with the devil, the father of all lies, than you are ever with me. And whoever is not for me is against me. Whoever calls the darkness light and the light darkness is not on my side. And brothers and sisters, we need to be on the side of God, don't we? And And to be able to stand up for the things that are right and to do the things that are a blessing to God and are in keeping with the truth of who He is and living holy lives separated unto Him as the God of all truth. <laughs> I haven't told this story very much because it's, in some ways it's not, it's not the best story to tell, but I tell you the truth. There are things that happen in our world that we go by every day and we look at people and look into their eyes and into their hearts, but we don't see the reality of the, the issues that are going on, the tensions and the struggles the spiritual warfare. There I was going out to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I've been there hundreds of times. I, you know, you're taking a mission trip. We're taking a mission trip out with, with, with Springbrook. I tell you what, get ready. <laughs> I've been in the prisons in South Dakota. I've been in the churches. And then I remember the day that Neil Hughes, a pastor in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, called me. He knew I was coming to the prison to minister to the men. And he said, Lou, can you come by the church? He said, it's the it's the conference prayer weekend. We had 100 pastors in the sanctuary. We had about 50 pastors' wives in another room. And then there were five of us in the other little side room. Four pastors and one woman. And uh, she was a young woman. She was an Indian, not a North American Indian, an East Indian from India. And uh, she had grown up in Yankton, South Dakota. It's an amazing story. A woman from Yankton, South Dakota traveled to India. And while she was in India, she saw this little baby given over to Satan worshipers to be sacrificed to Satan. They were going to take the little baby's life. She, at that moment, had to decide what she was going to do. She was a Christ follower. 
And so what she did was she kidnapped the baby. She took the baby. She never got papers for the baby. She brought the baby home to America, and she's lived in Yankton, South Dakota ever since. The girl became 18 and moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Neil Hughes, the pastor of our, of our Faith Baptist Fellowship, came into contact with her. Her name was Natessa, without God. And she had, through her mother, allowed all kinds of demonic activity to control, control her life. Neil said, this girl's got to be set free. Lou, can you help us? We went in and for three hours I sat in a room and never said one word. Now this morning a man laughed like crazy. He doubled over. Lou Petrie sitting in a room not saying one word for three hours. No, it was true. I never said one word. This is the only things I said, I said to myself and to God. And I begged God as the little girl sat there. And I said to the Lord, Lord, have her take off that bracelet. If this is real, have her take off the bracelet. And right at that moment, she reached over and for no reason took that bracelet off and put it down. And then I said, Lord, if Neil Hughes is on the right path, have him say, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And the next words out of Pastor Neil's mouth were, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I can't even tell you the filth of what it was that was residing in that poor woman's life. The devil had her as his slave. And before you know it, she was set free. (laughs) She was set free. And the first words out of her mouth were this. My name is now Tessa with God. (laughs) That the living God of heaven was with her. The hundred pastors in the sanctuary came and gathered around and hugged and kissed her and they told us later that it was like a great power had come into the room. (laughs) Friends, listen to me. It is the power of God. When you are in the contact with the God of heaven, there is nothing He cannot do. He can set us free at a moment's notice. Alcohol, out the window. Drugs, out the window. Financial problems, beaten down. Disease, it does not matter. When our God is involved in somebody's life and when you're in contact with Him and you confess Him, there is nothing our God cannot do. And this morning you may be here. Some of you men are caught up in the pornography. Brothers, listen to me. He can set you free. Those that know our King Jesus are free indeed. Women, whatever the issue is, it does not matter. What matters is, are you in contact with God? And has Jesus Christ touched you and released you from all of your illnesses or diseases or sin? It is God. That's why we have no judgment in this church. Why? Because our God has already judged sin at the cross of Calvary. And all we have here is liberty, freedom to be set free. And if you're not set free this morning, shame on you! Because all you need to do is confess Jesus. Stephen Alford, the great New Testament scholar, said he is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And that once Jesus comes into your heart, he can set you free completely to the uttermost. You can be at peace. His peace that passeth all understanding. It's from Him.
a gift that He gives to us this morning. (laughs) And then the third point is this. Not just the confession. Not just the contact. But the cleansing. There is only one ground upon which the person who is demonized can be set free. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. No man, no woman can be set free apart from the blood of Jesus Christ shed on our behalf that this blood has made us His children. He brings the light. The truth is that when Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, that when His unblemished blood was shed upon that tree, it is the power that cleanses. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Friends, listen to me this morning. Are you serving Him to the utmost? Are you serving Him in a way that would bring Him great glory? Changes in your family. Changes in your community. Changes in the church. That's all God is looking for from you this morning. That we might serve Him with complete and open hearts this morning. I didn't know it was going to be so emotional, but this moving drives me crazy. Cleaning out the house, my wife, she doesn't keep nothing. She's throwing away my best stuff. And already I lost my stuff. Maybe I shouldn't blame her. Maybe it's me. I was searching around, and I came across this letter. I've had the privilege of being discipled, and encouraged by some of the great men of God in God's kingdom. Richard Grabke was one of those men. There were five of us pastors in Melville in those days or in Saskatchewan. Richard was at Springside, Saskatchewan. He was the old fuddy-duddy. He'd come to a a fellowship time and he'd have a shirt and tie and a jacket on. I said, Richard, come on, you've got to give it up. We, We... He wore shirt and tie and everything all the time. He was so naive about the things of the world. And I'm so glad he was. Because Richard was that way, he taught me that we were in a spiritual battle. And that here was a man that was serving God with his complete life. Built churches, plant churches, born in Detroit, but did his whole ministry in Canada. His brother Phil had a ministry with North American Indians laid down his life for the Indian people. And Richard was able to do things that you cannot explain by the power or wisdom of man, but it was only God that was able to do them. And he considered me his friend. And I found this letter that he wrote me in Chicago. Listen to what he says. I won't read it all. I just finished a little book called Praying Hide, the missionary I told you about. Richard had been reading it. I wept and wept. God, give me that kind of burden for souls. 
Help me to know the agony that Christ had for us at Gethsemane. I met God in a new way. God's referee in my heart. you got to remember, this is Canada. This is, he's talking about hockey. Hockey referee, got it? I just want to make sure everybody's on the same page here. God's referee in my heart blew a whistle, pointing out areas where He cannot show His power through me. I was abased and emptied, and I felt God's glory and power flowing in. God used this to break me and to show me that there was yet a deeper channel in me for Him to manifest the power of Christ. I pray that I might be a man of humble spirit and contrite heart, one of whom God says, here is a man who dwells in Him in the high and holy place and who experiences genuine, continuous revival. Now listen, listen to what he says. The alternative is to go unblessed, dry of soul, and out of touch with God. I do not want that anymore. I have been praying that God would give me a broken heart, but lately I am convinced I need to pray that God will give me His broken heart. Lately God has shown me that it isn't my broken heart I need. I need His love. His burden. His tears. Friends, look at me this morning. What is it that you need? I need the heart of God. I need the heart of God. The only person that can give that to me is Jesus. (laughs) Confess Him. To be in contact with Him. To allow His blood to cleanse me. Ladies, can I talk to the men a minute? God needs you. Pastor Rich, He needs you. He needs us to stand up. There's women here. <laughs> Should be talking to the women, right? Mostly women. <laughs> but that we would have hearts on fire for God to be a soul, right? That would be on fire for God. Isn't there a man like that here? A praying hide that would be willing to say, Yes, Lord, help me. Lay down my life for the cause of Christ. Now, women, listen to me. The only way there's going to be a man if there's a woman willing to elbow that man and to say you need to take leadership in our lives. Am I right? Am I right? I am right. I've been pastoring a long time. Hear me now, church. God is begging us this morning. Give us the heart of God. Let God's heart fill your heart this morning. To allow Him to have His way with you. When that happens, I tell you what, there isn't anything that can't, can stand in the way 
of God. I love to sing that song, don't you? I love You, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship You. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Can we sing that together? If God's spoken to you this morning, and there's spiritual issues in your life, I want you to stand up while we're singing. And as we stand up, we're saying to God, Lord, give us Your heart this morning. Let us be Your people this morning. As we sing, You stand. If God's dealing with you this morning, you need to respond. I love You, Lord, and I lift my voice. To worship you, oh my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. We're going to sing it one more time, but before we do that, there's prayer couches over there. Huh? Couches, not wooden boards. They're couches. They should be wooden boards, shouldn't they? This was the Philippines. We'd have wooden boards over there. We wouldn't have couches. Where are the prayer people? Come over here. Come over to the couches. These folks have said they want to be used by God praying with us. If you have a spiritual issue this morning, don't leave this place. Please, don't leave this place. Come and pray with them. They're right here. Come over here and pray with them. Don't forget to come back next week. You know why? My favorite preacher is going to preach. Not Dan Harrison. Justin, our youth pastor. He's a great preacher. You'll want to be here. Be a part of what it is that God's doing here at Springbrook. If God's spoken to you this morning, you have a spiritual need, I want you to come and pray with the folks over here. We're going to sing it one more time. Don't hesitate. Go right over. Whatever the issue is, it doesn't matter. Remember now, no judgment here. Judgment happened at Calvary. What we have here is a need of grace and joy and peace and love. God is here. He is the light. You go and stand by one of those folks and pray, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. Lord, we don't deserve it. You give it to us as a gift. And Lord, we thank you so much that you're here with us. And Lord, I pray that for each person in this place, that we might come to the conclusion that you are the light that we need to walk in that light, in Your truth and holiness. And we pray, God, that for each person here this morning, that there be nobody leave this place with a spiritual decision that they need to make. Lord, help us this morning to be people that love You and reach out in Your name to those around us. Now, Lord, bless our pastor, Dan Harrison, and his family. Give them a time of refreshment and encouragement. Make them stronger as they come back to serve us. Lord, we love them. We commit them into Your hands. And now, Lord, we pray that You would bless us and help us to experience Your blessing every day. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. You are dismissed.